Stay tuned to Vinyl Community Podcasts. Buddies, hey, it's Concert Buddy. Welcome back to Vinyl Community Podcasts. I'm bringing the series. I haven't done a, a dedicated Mind of the Record Collector in a hot minute, but I could think of no one better to bring it back to the airwaves than the one, the only, JC from the channel, the flip side with JC. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much. You, you know, like I said before we started, but you have such a fantastic channel and I'm just honored to be on it. And keep them coming. Flattery is my love language, my friend. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, but you know, so this series, this is, I, I even came up with the tagline, Mine of the Record Collector, the series that asks what we collect, why we collect right. it, and how we find it. So see, uh, we're getting official here. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, cool. Well, I, I think hopefully a lot of folks listening and watching and listening and watching, if you do both, God bless you, um, are hopefully familiar with JC's channel. Been doing it. How long would you say? Uh, I, I saw on, on your thing 2015, but like officially channel wise, when did you start? Yeah, official channel wise was probably four years ago. Uh, probably right around my four year anniversary where I officially started uh, making these videos. Nice, nice. And what yeah. uh, I love, like, what is what has been some of the high water marks? I I hope it's been the, the community aspect, but I don't want to take the words out of my mouth. Tell me, like, what did what the journey has been for you on YouTube? Yeah, the journey for me was really to make friends. I'll be completely honest with you, and I I don't want to sound like I'm like this lonely old dude, but I, I do turn fifty this year. Um, so. Oh. <laughs> You know, at the time of starting this channel, my son wasn't into records or concerts yet. And it was like dragging him to go. He's now 16 and he very much loves the hobby as much as I do. Awesome. And my fiance, who at the time was my brand new girlfriend, um, she didn't really like music the way I felt passionate about music. And I needed an outlet to talk about music and just share my love because I would go thrifting or go record store shopping find something and I had nobody that shared that excitement with me of, oh my goodness, look what I just found. To give you an example, I just found today, I'm going to share this, at Savers, $1.99H, 2i Mono, Bob Dylan, wow. with the hype, and times are changing. So like to find these and to be in mint shape and first pressings for pennies on the dollar, and to come home and everybody looked at me like I was crazy, like, who cares? Um, <laughs> I was like, I need to find an outlet for this energy. And that's where I started the Vinyl Community Channel. I'm blessed that I have um, in over 4,000 subscribers that are very loyal to me. Um, I'm not nearly as great as a lot of other channels, but uh, I try to make my videos short, impactful, and fun. So that's that's really it. Yeah, it's cool. And, and I've been a, a subscriber for years, even before I started my own channel. Thank you. And uh, it's clear that like the music is 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 the, what you lead with, especially even some of these more recent videos you've done. You've like focused on parts of your collection dedicated to a band, an artist, except so it, it feels like the music is what drives the channel. Is that safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. It does. And that's what I love about the vinyl community is that everybody's got different tastes. And I do love a lot of the same bands that people show. Um, and, you know, what I, an example of that is the Beatles. Like, I love the Beatles. But I don't okay. talk about the Beatles a lot on my channel because 
people like Jeff Witcher or Mazzy, they're so fantastic at it. So I don't, you know, I don't know a quarter of the knowledge they do, but I, sh- for some reason, know a lot about Molly Crew. So like, I choose those bands, but I love uh, my musical taste is very diverse. A lot of people think of my channel as a hard rock channel because I show a lot of those records. But I do think that the community that watches me daily shares a love for that 80s hard rock and 70s hard rock. Um, so I showcase it a little bit more because I know it gets them excited. Yeah, I'll say that uh, there's some stuff I've learned from your channel, particularly, again, not to, not to pigeonhole you in that genre, yeah. but you do lean in for like rock and even soundtracks. We've talked about soundtracks offline oh, before. Yeah. Things that like certain areas of the community don't, don't really lean into. You're right. There's... There's people that have gotten more Beatles stuff than I know, so I can appreciate that. So let them have that lane. But what I like about your channel is that you go areas that not only can I relate to. You talk 90s. Like, obviously, 90s is one of my wheelhouses. So when you talk that kind of stuff, I'm like, instant watch, that sort of thing. Yeah, I I love the 90s, uh, especially bands like Alice in Chains and, um, you know, the early Pearl Jam stuff. I mean, I don't dislike the the later Pearl Jam stuff, but I really prefer those first um, three albums um but yeah we're, and, and we're having we we're having some internet issues when you said i thought you're going to say that the, the later pearl jam stuff was bad the internet was starting to no. go down <laughs> I, and i've actually seen pearl jam in concert many times and i do like their later stuff but you know those first three albums to me are just masterpieces it's hard to compete Perfect. you know what i mean it's uh but yeah i, I do love the 90s bands also and, and that's another thing that a lot of people like i do feel like a lot of people show the 70s and 90s that's like the vinyl community specializes in the 70s and 90s and there's some channels like miss 80s that shows a lot of soundtracks like i do uh but i do think that you know people like me and aaron uh and chris we try to show a lot of the 80s you know an era that may not be as represented as well and jeff look at jeff with all his new wave and stuff like that so for sure for sure well let's kind of lean into that because one reason i wanted to talk to you is uh, you know Kind of a theme I've been leaning into of late, and particularly something that's important to me is the community aspect. Yeah. And one part of your channel that I really enjoy, and I've seen it from other channels you've recommended, you just named some of them, Aaron Muth, Alan Mayer, Tipsy yeah. Tuesday. Arguably the most passionate person in the vinyl community because yeah, and he, most he is super, yeah, he's beyond passionate. Uh, Chris Profi, another one. Yeah. Um, and even Mr. Hall of Fame, Brandon, our mutual yeah. friend. Uh, talk to me about obviously connecting with people and then finding like lanes to connect even offline. Cause you've had some of these people over your home. Like talk about that. Yeah. So yeah, we have a group chat and for me, Brandon, Chris, Jeff, Aaron, we talk absolutely every single day. Um, mm. And I'll be honest with you that like, you know, I've struggled and this is not something that I'm proud of, but I've struggled in the past with alcohol, you know, and I've been one year sober and they've helped me, you know, um, and I was never like one of those uh, people that drank during the day or drank, you know, in the morning. But it was one of those things where I knew that like, hey, man, you shouldn't drink this much. And so I decided mm-hmm. to quit. And they've been a great help. And their friendship has has gotten me through a lot of that, that turmoil in my life. But that being said, you know, even if they stop making videos tomorrow... I would be best friends with them. They're great dudes. They love music. They influence me every day with like, hey, have you listened to this? Have you listened to that? Uh, and it, we're also eclectic and so different. Like who would think that, you know, you know, Brandon's two favorite bands are Cindy Lauper and Godsmack. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's so, it's so friggin' awesome. And Chris Profi with Rod McEwen and Slayer, you know, and 
you know, so it's like when you get these people together and we're all so diverse, but we all have this one common thread that we share. And that is that we're, we are all loving, caring people. And we all want to feed this community of record collectors and, and we want to be welcoming and opening. And I remember when we first started in 2019, uh, there was a lot of hate going around because of the new collectors with the Crosley tables and things like that. I remember when there was one record store day, I was in line and it's when brand new was re-releasing their album Deja Intendu and everybody was in line for that album. And this one guy walked by and he was like, look at all these people ready to buy a $200 record to play on their $99 record player. And I was like, this person is the epitome of why I make videos so that we can make people feel welcoming and collect whatever type of music they want. Melinda Murphy, you know, God bless that woman. Like when she first started and she'd show like Steelheart and Poison, bands that were like ridiculed and were sure. at one point dollar bin records and now are records that sell for hundreds of dollars um you know it's she showed hey like i love the beatles i love van halen but i also love these bands uh and i really felt like well the violent community is a really welcoming place and we push those trolls out for the most part so uh yeah i'm really proud of it and i love this community i just want to foster it and and make it as strong as i possibly can so that's one thing we have in common because honestly watching from afar i was one of those guys like i said earlier who's watching for years i wasn't even a commenter just because yeah. I was just like watching it, right? But I was appreciating. I was, you know, you're bringing to the table. Linda Murphy's another good example. People who are like, for lack of a better word, doing it for the right reasons. There's people who do it, and this is no judgment uh, to be influencers, to uh, you know, make a business, all that. Kind of, more right. parts of it. I get free records, what have you. Um, but what I really identify with you on is the community piece. That's why we do Bonham Community Podcast, right? It's named that way for a reason. Um, but I'm with you too. Like the. The judgment, you know, it's the stereotypical record store owner who, you know, is casting judgment on people's choices. Like you think it's a, you know, just seeing in movies and it's not necessarily a record store owners. We'll kind of get into that. But yeah, the point, the, the anti-crosset, like not how I would recommend somebody start their deal. But, you know, if, if it gets them on the pathway to that next turntable, to that system, to that next record. Yeah. Who am I, who am I to, you know, cast a stone at that? I think it's silly. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at someone like uh, Mike from the Ingroove, right? What a great channel he's got. And he does these great shootouts and he's got like speakers that are more expensive than my car. You know what I mean? And it's like, I love it. You know, I, I couldn't afford a system like that. And maybe one day I could. Uh, but, you know, it's I don't look at my system any less. My system... You know, and that's what I when I when I talk to new collectors and I and I see their systems or they talk to me about their systems, I never make judgments. I always am like, you know, this is awesome. You know, and if they ask me, in my honest opinion, like, how can I upgrade? I always tell them like one piece at a time. You know, that's the best best method is figure out what the weakest part of your system is in your eyes and then upgrade that. And um, I think that's the way to foster a great community. Um, and that's what I love about it. That's why I'm still making videos. I, I make videos because every day there's someone that meant that messages me and he's like, Oh my God, I love this. You know, I love that. Or thank you for talking about this record. It makes me feel really good. And, uh, and that's why I watch all these other channels. And unfortunately, I, you know, I can't comment on everybody's channel. So I know a lot of people probably are like, oh, does he really watch my channel? What I tend to do is when I'm working, I play all the videos. Like I just, I hit my play and it goes from one subscriber to the next. Uh, and if I can, I'll shoot a quick text. If I can't, you know, but I do try to listen to as many as I possibly can. 
So yeah, I know when I started my channel, you were very encouraging and, and commenting and stuff. But you're right, yeah. especially for somebody who's new to the game, is uh, if all of a sudden there's an exodus, you don't hear from them, you do kind of wonder. But the more people you get to know, this is some, this is kind of I wouldn't say dirty little secret, yeah. but it's just reality. Is the longer you do it and, and wider your net of community folks you know, it's hard. There's only so many hours in a day, and you know you you do get to a point where like. Sometimes videos draw you, even though you really want to support them. And even if you can only watch five minutes, you just want to like watch it and send them a note, right? It's hard. It it really is. Yeah, it's definitely hard. And and I tend to try, like you said, put comments on the younger people, the newer people, because they really need the support or they're going to quit, right? And um, a lot of the veterans, unfortunately, sometimes I don't put comments like, you know, I might go months without putting on a comment on Mazzy's videos, but I listen to them, you know what I mean? Or even yourself, which I apologize. But it's, it's one of those things where, like you said, it takes a lot. And, um, but yeah, I just try to listen while I'm working. If I'm not in a meeting and I'm doing Excel spreadsheets and things like that, it's playing in the background like a record. And, and, you know, and then I go, when I get off work, I go listen to records. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny so, so before we move on from this one so the vinyl community yep. in your opinion i think i know the answer but i tee it up anyway jc do you think it's it's made the hobby better it's moved the hobby forward what would what what kind of grade would you give the vinyl community on youtube vinyl community i always say this is more expansive than just what we do on youtube yep. it just so happens that i know a lot of folks who do channels and that's why a lot of these conversations go this way but in your opinion vinyl community has it made the hobby better yeah, it's made it much better. Uh, since the vinyl community has started, like really, and we've had a voice, and these YouTube channels help, um, we've seen more manufacturers put the source of whether it's analog or digital on their records. We've seen more manufacturers use polyline sleeves. We've definitely seen a lot of improvement. Um, and I don't begrudge anyone for I know like last week you had, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, but the guy that sells the records. Um, oh, William the Flipper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. William the Flipper. Great channel. Uh, so yeah. And I don't begrudge that man at all. Like everybody's got a different game that they play when it comes to collecting records, but the community is just meant to bring us all together and keep us informed. Hey, this pressing sucks. This pressing is great. Don't waste your money on this. Um, yeah. I, it's 100% made it better. Uh, no doubt in my mind. Right on. Well, well, we kind of touched on where I'm going to kind of take us next. Let's talk about your collecting journey. Sure. Um, from, from what I know, I did a little homework, and it's more from your channel, right? Like you've been yep. collecting since '84, and, yeah. and you're like a lot of folks who had a collection and had to move on of it for various reasons. So, kind of take us on the walk of your collecting journey. Yeah, so I started in 1984 primarily with vinyl records, um, and then I switched to CDs. I kept my vinyl records. Um, and I just kept building and building and building. Sometime around the 90s, I got back into records. Believe it or not, it was Vitology by Pearl Jam. They released it a week early on vinyl, and I had to okay. get it. And so I went and got it, and then that started to itch again. And I started to grab all the Danzig records, because uh, Danzig at that point oh. and Misfits were my favorite artists. Uh, the Misfits have literally been my favorite artists probably since 1986. Um, and... So, and I always say the collective works of Glenn dancing <laughs> because it, you count Sam Ain and dancing. So I, I right. went back and I got all those final records. And I got first pressings of Metallica and back then it was super cheap. I mean, it was really cheap to collect records uh, and my collection kept building. Then I opened up a vintage clothing uh, store where for 10 years of my life, I sold vintage clothing. So I was going to, to yard sales, flea markets and thrift stores uh, four, or five, yeah. four or five a day. 
So my collection grew monumentally. Uh, you know, there was one point that I had four copies of Led Zeppelin four, you know, uh, it, it was just like, I'd go, it was 99 cents and it was mint. Why not buy it? And, um, I did hit a point in my life, which was like a transitional point in my life where I needed to sell the collection. Uh, I sold the collection. I got a lot of money for it. And then instantly I regretted it. And what mm-hmm. I regretted about it was what I realized is that there were memories attached to each and every record. So like I had a suicidal tendencies, suicidal tendencies joined the army in the shrink with a hype that I got 99 cents at Savers. I can tell you what Savers it was. And every time I played that record, I thought about the excitement of finding that record. And oh my God, I can't believe I found this record for 99 cents. That was all gone. And about a year later, um, and this leads into probably, I think, a question you're going to ask later, which is my biggest grail. Uh, I had my biggest grail experience, and that's what really got me back into collecting. Do you want me to tell that now, what my biggest grail experience Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, let it rip, man. All right. So we, I was at Savers with my son, and I think we were there. So what, what year is it? What year 2000, is it? 2018, probably. Okay. Yep. So 2018, I was at Savers with my son, and I saw them putting out records. And I had kept, when I sold my collection, I kept my Tom Petty. I kept my my Lucero, which thank God, because those are super expensive now. Uh, and I kept my Tom Waits. So I kept a few. So, and I still had my turntable, but I was like trying to f- say, Josh, do you really want to get back into this hobby? I saw them putting out records and they were putting out a lot of records. And mm. I got about 50 records that day. 90% of them were in the shrink with hype stickers and all super rare. And I mean, use your illusion one and two first pressings in the shrink with the hypes. Each record was a dollar ninety nine. So, and instantly, I had this big collection. Like I was like, "Oh my god, my collection has!" I've got the bug now, and uh, yeah, and th- that's what got me back into the hobby. And and thank God I did because I love it so much. I'll never sell um, my collection. I very rarely look at the value of it. Um, or the value of each individual record, because I always say like, well, it's worthless because I'm never going to sell it. So it, it doesn't mm. matter if it was worth like, ten grand. Uh, I'm not selling it, so it doesn't matter. Now, my son, if I were to pass away, he could do whatever he wants with it. But uh, to me, the value is kind of irrelevant. I use more discogs to make sure I don't buy something I already own <laughs> or wish. True story. You know? True yeah. story. Well, I feel bad because uh, we just had. Uh, well, when this airs, I can say it. So we just had Dylan Smith, Noble Records, on. And it hasn't aired yet, but, but, uh, we were talking about this because I always wonder what does a shop owner think? Cause I pull out my phone and yep. it's, it's, it's exactly what you said. I've got over 3000 records now. I need yep. to make sure because it's still like, Oh, that's still a cool piece, but do I have it already? So I do need to check that off. And I was wondering if the shop owner sees that like, Oh, here's this jackalope. He's looking up prices again. <laughs> you got to do been. it. I mean, yep. yeah. Yeah, Dylan is awesome too. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that episode. Yeah, you're right. You know, um, so to me, I set a value in my head. So to give you an example, there's records I'm looking for, but I'm just going to wait till I find them at Savers. I have no FOMO. I have no timetable. There's no rush. So to give you an example, like I said, I bought this Bob Dylan. Times are changing. Like, yeah, I would love to get all the early Bob Dylan albums, and I have a lot of them. So. 
I say to myself, that's a record I'll find at Savers. Now, it may take me 30 years, but it's a record that they sold millions of copies of. And yeah, I'd love to get a first pressing, but what's the rush? There's absolutely positively no rush. Now, I know I'm never going to find, you know, if you said like, oh, Josh, like, you know, let's think of a a more modern album. You know, like if you said, oh, I want a first pressing of no code. It's probably pretty rare that you're going to find that at thrift store. It could happen. And I have found amazing records from the 2000s and up or the 90s and up at a thrift store. But it's much rare. But if it's from the 70s or 80s um, or 60s, um, there's a good chance that if you thrift long enough, you go yard sales long enough, you're going to find it. Well, you, you did a recent video on this, and I think it was like a it was like a tennis match because I did my own resolutions. Yeah, I was talking about some things I'm going to change, and then you made kind of a response video to that, and you really hit on something I thought was interesting. I w- I'd hope you could expand here is that you know to this idea, you've got it in your mind like where you can find it, and you actually have the restraint or the discipline to not go chasing down that Dylan record online where you know it's going to be 50. Like I'm, I'm picturing like a Dylan uh, Blonde on Blonde, the first uh, the first pressing with Claudia the model in them. That's probably one, I'm just guessing, probably one that you'll wait. Hopefully it shows up at Savers, stuff like that. How did you yeah. kind of come up with this approach? Because foam real, sometimes it's hard to wait. Sometimes yeah. I'll see a video and be like, how did I not know about this? instantly on my device trying to track it down so how did you kind of come up with this system to compartmentalize how you approach seeking records? yeah so here's how i kind of look at it in my collection is that um I, you know i love hype stickers i absolutely love hype stickers mr they hype brand brandon anytime we talk about you he's like you know jc is mr hype <laughs> yeah I, to me i'd rather have a hype sticker than a first press in some cases i don't know why but the number one thing is sound quality and pressings from the late 80s the 90s, uh, for the most part, on vinyl, or certainly early 90s, sound terrible. Uh, or they maybe they don't sound terrible, but they certainly, a lot of them weren't pressed for vinyl. They were just CD transfers to vinyl, right? They, vinyl was, was an afterthought. You know, like Aaron yeah. had a first press of facelift, and he said it sounded terrible, right? Um, but the repress of facelift sounds awesome. So I, I say to myself a lot of times, like, okay, do I do I really want to go hunt down a first press of Mad Season, even though it's one of my favorite albums, just to say that I have it? Probably not. It's probably that that to me is not would not be a grail, even though it'd be awesome to have. And if I found it at a thrift store, I would be doing bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um I say to myself, I can deal with a repress from the late 80s, early 90s, when when records weren't a thing, right? So if, I'll just wait for a repress, or if they have a repress, I'll seek that out. In terms of albums from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I have to kind of judge the rarity of, of the pressing. Um, so there are some records, um, you know, that are that are extremely rare. And and I know that there's it's the odds of them finding those records in a thrift store are never going to happen in a million years. To give you an example, there's a band Shotgun Messiah and their album Second Coming. It's only pressed in Europe and UK, and it probably goes for like 500 bucks. Um, And that's an album that I desperately want. Um, So I know that like, okay, you're never going to find that at a thrift store. You're never going to find that um, at a yard sale. How much would you pay for that record? And I set myself 300 bucks. If I found that record for $300, even though it's worth 500, 300 is what it's worth to me. And I mean, that's, that's, still, that's still not changed. Three bills are three bills, man. It is, right. And that's what I'm willing to pay. 
And when I find it for that one day, I'll buy it. Or if they do a repress, I'll buy it. Uh, now, when it comes to bands like Bob Dylan or the Beatles, you know, I found a first press mono and a first press stereo of Rubber Soul that are amazing. They sound like, I mean, you would think this is a brand new record. It, it is huh. so beautiful. Now, it took me going to thrift stores twice a day forever to find those records uh but you will find them out there you'll find mint copies of the beatles you'll find i found you know pink floyd the wall in amazing shape at at uh savers there were just so many of those records press i found a first press these are all u.s u.s first press of animals pink floyd at savers um so yeah i love those albums um and i'll buy something like when they remix it but I just say to myself, hey, wait for Savers. What's the rush? Now, I go to Savers and I go to thrift stores twice a day, primarily. Like, I'll go. I was just going to ask what kind of frequency, because, yep. you know, talking like Rob Lacks is a great example. It's like, you show up to, to leave with the good stuff, right? It's repetition, it's just being in the right place at the right time. And by the way, this episode is not sponsored by Savers, but Savers, yeah. one of the pros. So if a sponsorship deal will take it. Anyway, so, yeah, exactly. I was going to ask your frequency. How often are you going to like, the Goodwills, the Savers, the Ant Malls. Like, what's what's like a normal week for you? Twice a day. Yeah. So, like, I'll go like on my lunch break, and then I'll go uh, at some point after work. So, twice a day. There's a, a Savers that's literally minutes up my street. And here's my mm-hmm. thought process when it comes to thrifting: is no one's going to pull up to Savers and donate one Bob Dylan record. So, like, when I found these Bob Dylan records today. There was a whole mm-hmm. stack of other records. There was Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young, Peter, Paul, and Mary, a lot of 60s bands, a lot of stuff I already had. If I already have it, I don't resell. I'm not against resellers, but I don't resell. I just leave it for the next person. There's a young girl that I see there every day that collects records, and sometimes I'll hold it till I see her and hand it to her. I don't know how old she is, but it's like, hey, like here's someone that's trying to get into the hobby. Um you know, it's if it's something that's valuable and I don't want it, I might buy it and go give it to Roger, who owns Birch Street Records. I don't even ask him for money. I'll just be like, dude, take it. Um, and then he can sell it, make a profit um, because I like to support him too. Or I'll VCLT it. But yeah, twice a day. So generally, I would say I hit thrift stores, you know, relatively about 14 times a week. Woo. And then how do you layer in? And, and we'll talk about Birch Street in a second. But yeah. how do you layer in like visits to your local shops? You know, just whenever you can, or like the thrift is the most important thing. Like, got to hit it twice or at least once a day. How do yeah. you how do you layer in like other opportunities like record shows, record stores, etc.? Yeah, so I primarily shop at Perch Street Records, um, and you know, so I know there's other record stores in the area, uh, and I I used to frequent them, but Roger, the owner of Perch Street Records, is such a close friend, and I love the guy so much. He's such a nice guy, and he hooks me up beyond belief. I, I have worked there occasionally and I do help out and I have a, a, a pick on the wall. So if you go visit Roger, you can see JC from the flip sides pick. I get a pick every week of what, what people should buy. Um, so I just stick with him and it's like, I, I will go to a record show cause those are super fun. They don't happen in my area very much. And I'm hoping to go to the next mm-hmm. one so I can run into uh, Mike from MGK Boston. Cause he goes to it a oh, lot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's primarily purchase records and thrift stores. 
is what I do. And I, like I said, I'm in no rush to find albums. Um, it's just a matter of finding those grails that I'm looking for, or if I want to discover something new. The great thing about Perch Street Records is they have a true $2 bin. And I'm not talking about these old, like these terrible $2 bins where all they have in there is, you know, Mitch Mitchell. And sh so to give you an example, I pulled some. Here's some records that I got this morning when I went to the $2 bin. So I got, these are all VG, Chuck Correa, okay. Cat Stevens, Cat Stevens, Cat Stevens. Now I had Cat Stevens' greatest hits. I love Cat Stevens' greatest hits. I have not heard the individual albums. I'll be honest with you. But for $2, I'll take a chance. And, and that's what's great about Perch Street Records is sometimes I go and I'll pull a $100 record off the wall and buy it. And then other times I go and I just buy 10, $2 records for 20 bucks. What, uh, what are your thoughts? Cause you're in the Northeast, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, what, how do you, where land on Newberry? Cause I have been up there. I've been to Newberry. I've seen yep. our operation. It, it, it could be a polarizing topic. Where do you land on Newberry comics? I love Newberry comics in terms of like, man, I spent my childhood there. You really did. I mean, like I went to Newberry comics for the first time in 1992 on Newberry Street in Boston, the OG. Yep. And my God, changed my life. You're going in there and you're seeing these giant subway posters they used to sell and all the crazy concert shirts. And it was a height of grunge. And then I was like obsessed with all those bands. And um, yeah, and they, they sold vinyl records and Tower Records was right next door, which was incredible mm -hmm. too. But yeah, I love Newberries and I support Newberries. Um, they do get a lot of exclusives. They do get stuff that Roger doesn't get. There's one minutes from my house. So yeah, I will stop in there occasionally. But for the most part, um, you know, it's difficult because Amazon has been blowing things out below cost. And I don't know, like to give you a couple examples, and I was saying this to Jeff the other day, um, you know, there's box sets that have a $250 retail value that they're selling right now for 90 bucks. Like the mm -hmm. Skid Row box set the other day was $59, which originally uh, had a $199 value. The, the Soulfly block box set, which is normally 250 bucks, is $91 right now. The Beatles box sets are over 50% off. So it's tough to go to Newberry when you know Amazon is eventually going to blow these these back catalog items out at a really low price. Um, now my kids love Newberries because Newberries has become a toy store and, you know, just like a <laughs> Spencer's gift, you know? Yeah. Right. Funko. So they always want to go to Newberries. So yeah, i take the kids there and um, but yeah, I'd support them. They're local. No, no ill will towards Newberries. And you know, Roger will send people to Newberries. Perch Street Records does it all the time. And Newberry sends people to Perch Street Records. They work harmoniously. So love hearing that well let's 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 dig into that it's a great segue to yeah. purchase street because if i and, and if i get anything wrong but i yeah. think a relatively newer store like i think you did you did some videos a year maybe two years ago kind of really teasing and and, and kind of you know leveraging some of your online presence to kind of at least get the word out right so yeah. tell us about how that started and you know your relationship with roger maybe expand on that and also you kind of already hit on it but i know several other people in the community who do kind of moonlight at their local records for brandon obviously we talked yeah. about him robert fifth another one um how has that helped change or help or change your perspective for the hobby yeah i mean it's it's been amazing. So Roger owned a, a store on Purchase Street, New Bedford, downtown New Bedford. And he, uh, a couple of years ago, moved to a much bigger location because he was so 
popular and doing so well. And, and that's when my videos really came out promoting the store. I always shopped at the store um, okay. and got to know Roger. And, uh, you know, the idea that he allowed me to work there was a dream. Like, you know, it's so funny because I have a corporate job. I work for the largest hotel chain in the world. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm in senior management there. Um, so I have a great job, but my dream was always to work at a record store. I used to date a girl that worked at a record store. It was the closest I ever came, um, you know, but to work there and to to help people and, you know, people come up and they're like, oh, they're buying Lana Del Rey. And I'm like, oh, I love Lana Del Rey. And we're talking about the songs and it's such a fantastic feeling. And I owe Roger so much, you know, from that to give me that opportunity. And I'll be honest with you that like, I told him you didn't have to pay me. Like, I didn't want any money. I just wanted to do it. And, and when I go there and I help out and like, he's busy and I, and I greet customers or I help them find their records, or I run to the stock room. I would never uh, want anything from Roger other than his friendship, you know, um, working there or helping out there is like a dream. It's absolutely a dream. And uh, it's such a fun store. And, and we do, it does have a Boston attitude, like that new Bedford a- attitude. So like, if you go there, uh, we, we bust balls. Sometimes we have fun, you know, Rogers revoked my man card five times, you know, like, you know, he's like, if you buy this record, I'm revoking your man card. I'm like, all right, well, I'm revoke it. <laughs> Cause it's being purchased. <laughs> so yeah, like, it, you know, he busts balls like that, but it's all in good spirits and fun. And, uh, he's got to meet, um, uh chris multiple times he's got to meet jeff uh aaron's talked to him on the phone a couple times i mean aaron's blown some you know i don't want to talk about how much money but aaron spent some money there you know over the phone uh if you get to go a lot of people think of him as a hard rock store but he's got an enormous hip-hop section enormous 90s alt rock section grunge section uh death metal section classic rock section um, yeah, it, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of jazz. That's the one section that a lot of people, it's, it's a smaller section, but everything else is, he's got an enormous selection. So jazz are you, is are you, Hey, listen, there's plenty of jazz out there. So it, it, everybody can yeah. find it somewhere else. Um, are you ever involved in like helping him uh, chase down collections or any of that part? Or are you, are you just mainly just like, Hey, I've got some hours I can come in. I can do some front desk. Like talk more about your involvement, particularly at the store. Yeah, I don't help them run the business in terms of helping collections or things like that. It's more like, hey, if you need me, call me. I'll, I'll be right there. Or if uh, a lot of times I'm just hanging out there. So it's, you know, like I could be there. And if they're busy, I just start helping, you know. So it's one of those things. He knows if he needs me, he's got my phone number and I could cover a shift or something like that. But um yeah, it's more just like, hey, how can I help you be successful? Um, he's also got his band, All Sinners. If you haven't heard that band, they're one of my favorite new bands. Um, it, as a matter of fact, if you don't have that band and you want the CD, message me on my channel. I'll find a way to get you the CD. They're, they're coming out with a live album. It's really great. And um, so when he's you know working with the band or doing something like that, I know that um, they have some big tours lined up. You know, I'll probably hopefully be able to help out more at the, the shop. Nice. Does uh, does he ever take you behind? I always, always Billy Hurst. Well, well let's, let's touch on that first because there's been yeah. a lot of uh, VCers per se who have moved from beyond the camera to starting their own shops. Billy Hurst is one. Uh, Matt Sands, uh, his channel. He's got Gold Pan Records. Just off top of my mind because they're local. Is that something that's ever crossed your mind about maybe doing your own shop in some way? Are you content with you know the work life balance of yeah I've got this job and 
you don't want the hobby to bleed to that. Where's your thought on that? Yeah, I love my job. I have to admit, like it's like okay. it's such a great job, and um, I I oversee a team of people in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. I get to travel quite a bit to visit those folks. Um, my boss is amazing. Um, so yeah, I don't think I would ever leave my job. Um, you know, and I, I'm, you know, turning 50. So I'm looking at my life now, like I'm, I'm curating this record collection in hopes that one day I can retire. I could tell the kids out there that don't get divorced. It, it definitely skews your retirement plans. Um, yes. So- <laughs> yes. Yeah, it definitely does. Preach. So, yeah. Um, I will tell you that hopefully sometime in the next 20 years I retire. And my dream would be to be able to, you know, at that point fully utilize this record collection. Um, you know, and I enjoy it as much as I possibly can, especially on the weekends, you know, Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, I do a ton of spinning. Um, but yeah, that's my dream. Um, so I don't think owning a business, I'll do that again. I did own a business for a long time, but at this point, I, oh man, I, I, I can't complain. Chance, I have such a great life. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just been beautiful. Too blessed to be stressed, my friend. I can appreciate yeah. that. Um, let's, let's circle back on one thing about, uh, yeah. we've talked about, uh, the connections of the community um, and Aaron, you said Aaron again, kind of made me think of this. One thing that a lot of people don't know, because you guys for a while were doing live streams on Thursday. So what, what happened there? And do you ever see that popping back up? Cause I thought it was very, very cute. probably the wrong word, but it was just very sweet. How like you guys were getting together on Thursday, the four horsemen, the fifth yeah. horseman, all that kind of stuff. Do you guys think you'll ever do that again? Yeah, I do. We filmed a couple videos, but they weren't live streams. I do think the live streams are coming back. Uh, there was a time that like I was traveling a lot for work. So last year I went to Mexico twice, Wichita twice, Omaha twice, Miami, Cleveland. So I was traveling all the time and. It, like the Huey Lewis song, you're going to all the cities in the Huey yeah, Lewis. I'm going to all the cities. Exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it, when you travel a lot and then you get home, you have to catch up on all the stuff that while you were gone, you know, and especially with the kids. So, you know, I don't think there's going to be as much corporate travel this year. So hopefully I will. And it, it becomes, unfortunately, becomes infectious where, you know, I can't make it, then someone else might not make it or someone else can't make it, then I can't make it. It's, it's, but we're really desperately trying to get back together. Um, we've done two, not live streams, but two group videos, one that was released yesterday and one released a couple of weeks ago. Yesterday's was quite fun because we took the top five David Lee Roth solo albums and compared them to our top five, uh, Van Hagar, uh, well, top five David Lee Roth songs, I should say, and uh, compared okay. to the top five Van Hagar songs and which one we preferred. So it was a really fun video. Um, yeah, you check it out if you get a chance. Cheap plug, my man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I think yeah. we've hit the portion of the program that some say it's their favorite part. Some say yeah. uh, when we run out of time, if we don't do it, they're like, where's the lightning round? We are in the lightning round part of yes. the program. These are just quick hitters, fun questions. Um, obviously, being from the Northeast, I kind of thought this one in mind. Who would you say, your opinion, best band from Massachusetts? Aerosmith. But pre, I mean, pre-pump, like everything from pump down is masterpiece. Everything from pump after, I'm not a fan of. So get a grip is where you said, nope, I'm out of too much Alicia yeah. Silverstone. I'm out of <laughs> I do love that song, Living on the Edge. I do love it. But you know, it's just it didn't resonate with me. I apologize for everyone that loves that album. But for me, yeah, <laughs> pump down is is 
that's Boston band. Cars are closed, so. Okay, okay. I, I, I do agree with you. I think when they did uh, Don't Want to Lose a Thing on that Armageddon soundtrack, that's where, that's where I sold some of my Aerosmith stock because I was like, hang on a second. Now we're getting to become a formula of the power ballads and now you're moving. Yeah, so. Yeah, I'm pink is my that. favorite color. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on. Yeah, <laughs> you're killing me, Stephen. You're killing me. Come on. So, uh, so next one, if you could reunite one band, I think I already know the answer to this one, for one show, who would it be and why? The Smiths. It would definitely be the Whoa, Smiths. I, I would have thought the Misfits, but okay, Smiths. Oh, no, yeah. The Smiths. I mean, I love the Smiths. I love Morrissey, even though he's a jerk. I mean, like, <laughs> he, you know, I just wish Morrissey would shut up. But I mean, I love the Smiths and I would love, I know that it's impossible now because the, the bass is dead, but man, that would have been awesome. I, they don't have, a, they have perfect discography in my mind. I just love all their albums and yeah. And plus it would make Jeff Witcher so happy. And, you know, I, I love to watch <laughs> Jeff be happy. Yeah. So. Do, uh, do you like the solo stuff? Do you like the Johnny Marr I, stuff? Like, where do you I do. I love it. And I'll tell you, we are the, you are the quarry by Morrissey, I think is one of the greatest albums of the two thousands. And a lot of people don't know that album, but songs like uh, Irish blood, English heart, uh, I've forgiven you, Jesus. Uh, I'm not sorry. Uh, those songs are so amazing. And he's got this song that talks about how he knew his career wouldn't last. It's like the last song on that album. Uh, people that don't know Morrissey's solo albums or they only know uh, Every Day is Like Sunday, they think it's a lot like The Smiths. It's not. Like each album tended to get progressively a little bit heavier. You know, like he got into more uh, heavy rock guitars. And uh, yeah, if you, if you don't know it, go listen to it. I do love his solo albums. My two favorite are definitely You're the Quarry and You're Arsenal. I love both of those. So. Well, I'd be remiss, and I know he said if I did mention his friend of the show, Arnaldo channel is Fidelius underscore frequency, biggest Smith fan I know. So all this I'm hearing right now, he's even doing like a, a Smith's retrospective from from the beginning on his channel. So if you haven't seen it, if you're listening or watching, go check it out because I mean JC's right up there. Apparently, I I, I had no yeah. idea. I was totally thinking Misfits on this one. So to hear that you're a, a power Smiths fan, I love it. Yeah, it, it, that, that's the thing. The thing is, that, you know, I do love the Misfits. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I have seen Glenn more than any other artist. I've seen him play Misfits songs. I've seen the Misfits without Glenn. You know, and so I feel like I've gotten my fill, but I've never seen the Smiths. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw The Cure the first time last year, and that was one of the greatest concerts I've ever been to. So yeah, I love those type of bands, and you know, a lot of people don't know that about me is that some of my favorite bands are the Smiths, REM, The Cure. I, I love all of those bands. Um, yeah, so if you love those bands, come over to my channel. We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh, so I think you said this earlier, but just to kind of put a bow on it, so the greatest, fondest grail was that big collection. Was there one record out of that collection, or was it just finding that basically perfect starter, reignite yeah. the hobby piece? That was perfect it. starter. The, mo the most valuable records – because they were mint, mint, mint. One of them was still sealed, was Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. I mean, those records at the height of the pandemic, I know were going for huge money. I don't know what they're going for now, but um, I do know that they're hard to come by and they were in the shrink and they were mint. But the collection as a whole, um, it really was like someone saying, Josh, you need to restart collecting records. Here's your starter pack. Final universe. Yeah, exactly. The universe came together. And, and imagine if you sold your collection 
and someone handed you 50 of your favorite albums, you'd be like, okay, I guess I'm collecting again. You know, it, it, that's how it was. So, yeah, it, was, it meant that. more than finding valuable records. Like if I had found, like, don't get me wrong. Like I love a lot of jazz and it would have been amazing to find like a collection of 50 blue notes, but finding sure. 50 records that were like in my wheelhouse really was like, Hey, this is your sign to go kickstart your collection. It's funny you said that because so this was about 2010 or 11. I was just kind of starting to get back into vinyl and I'd ask for like a turntable for like my birthday, that kind of stuff. I had a very similar experience. I didn't have a killer find like that, but I, I went to a Goodwill one time at lunch and I found about 50 records and it was like Michael Jackson thriller, Whitney Houston. It was a lot of like common titles, but good common titles. And it's exactly your point. It was like, that was the jump start I needed that really did put the, uh, the obsession in over. Then I'm going to my locals Then I'm, on the floor, crate digging, which I don't do as much of anymore because, you yeah. know, whatever, I'm old. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, exactly your point. I'm sure a lot of others can rule that. Now, I think we're the last one. Yeah. We're almost, we're almost home. You almost can go back to Savers <laughs> for that second run today. Uh, how big is your Discogs want list? Um, it's not that huge, but there's a lot of records that have multiple pressings. That you know how like you might look for a record and you're like I don't care what pressing I get but I just want a pressing of this record and it it might be a band that like for instance I'm only missing one Danzig record uh, which is the Lost Tracks and they have like 17 different colors so I have like all <laughs> 17 on there and I very rarely order from Discogs because I want to find it in the wild um, yes. but it does keep me my mind fresh of like what the records that I'm really looking for. Um, you know, and like I said to you, or I might have said in the video, you know, there is a ton of records that I want to upgrade to hype stickers. And I'm always on the hunt for those. Uh, but there's probably about 100 records that have really eluded me in my collection. And they're pretty rare. And for the most part, I say to myself, okay, I'd, I'd spend 25, 50, 75, or 100 on this. There's a few in that $300 range. And I say, like, when you find this and it's in that price range for this record, then I'll buy it. And until then, I could go to the record store and not buy anything. I don't feel pressure to buy it. Um, I'm just like, hey, I'm going to wait and find these records. The hype sticker thing keeps me going, though, because there'll be many times where it's like, oh, man, I own this record, but I want that, that hype. And yeah, I end up upgrading. My son gets a free I, copy I, of Huey Lewis. <laughs> I'd, be I'd be lying if I didn't say that you've influenced me a little bit there because there have been times where I've, I already know I have it, but I don't have that, that luscious pipe sticker. And it's exactly what yeah. you said. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a cool piece. It's very hard to replicate. You can get a, another Huey Lewis in a new sports and mint condition, but there's multiple hype stickers and it's, it's a yeah. nuance. And I, I appreciate that. Now yeah, I, I do. Okay. I'll go ahead. I was just going to say one thing. Many people ask me why I like the hype. And that's because before the internet, you didn't know what the band sounded like when you flipped through records, right? You couldn't be like, hey, what does it sound like? So there were many times where you, you based your purchase, if it was a blind buy, on what the band looked like and the hype sticker. And so it just takes me back to that memory of mm -hmm. being at a Sam Goody, a Strawberries you know, and flipping through the records and seeing the hype and trying to make a decision if this was what I want to spend my paper out money on. But go ahead, man. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Although you're good. No, you're good. One, well, I was going to ask you, because I still look for this one. Did you ever get the Billy Joel Stormfront with a hype? Because I never see that. Every yeah. time I see that record, I think of you because I'm like, I see it. And I'm like, does it have the hype? No. Have you found that yet? Yeah. 
kills me. No, I have the Walmart repress and um, I, I had an OG copy with a hype. There's a few records that before I sold my collection, I had OG copies with hypes and it drives me nuts that I no longer do. Cause every time I pull out that record. So I had Stormfront with the hype. I had journey's greatest hits with the hype. I had um, death angel frolic through the park with the hype. And w- now when I see my records, I'm like, where's the hype? Oh yeah. You sold your OG copy. And, you know, but then, you know, I've got, Two copies of, uh, you know, Huey Lewis Sports with uh, different types, you know. So it's you like, can never have Ooh. enough copies, JC. I'm telling you, that is exactly. If you want to have twenty copies or more, I fully co-sign <laughs> on Huey Lewis Sports. It's only only with multiple hypes. It's funny because, like, you know, every once in a while I buy a Japanese press, but if you go through my collection, it's one copy of each record. And if you see multiple, it's either a Japanese or there's mo- different types of hype. You know, so that's what I do. It's crazy. How, uh, how, how, how large is your collection now? Would you say it was the last time you kind of like had a number? Of it? Like uh, it's got probably around 3000 pieces, I would think. So yeah, right around there. Um, it, it's probably around the same size as before I sold my collection. Um, but my collection was different back then, but my, my other collection, I definitely had a lot more multiple copies of things. So I would have like three copies of dark side of the moon just because, like mm. I said, I went thrifting and they were so cheap. And it was like, why not buy it? Uh, which was smart because when I ended up selling my collection, I got. So now I have like one copy of Dark Side of the Moon, but it sounds fantastic. It looks fantastic. Um, mm. And like I said, there's a couple albums that I have multiple copies of. Good stuff. We did it. We've come out. It's like Shawshank Redemption. We're out to the other side. Hopefully it wasn't through the sewer line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, my man, JC. The channel is the flip side. Vinyl Community with JC. Great channel. Very close to 5,000 subs. I think that's probably attainable this year, so let's get them over it. Great conversation. Great guy. So glad we could do this. Thanks for joining us, sir. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the chance. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.